Hello and welcome to Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson and uh, we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Join the show this week as ever. We've got James Sweetner. All right, James, how's your sporting week been? Oh, a terrific week, Rob, filled with amazing boxing moments, amazing footballing moments and even some fantastic ice hockey moments. Yeah, lots and lots to go through on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. Uh, we'll start with the football, James. And Manchester United, they beat Spurs 3 2 uh, this weekend. Fantastic uh, game and a great hat trick by the main man, Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, ultimately, as we're coming accustomed to, Cristiano Ronaldo's heroics completely and utterly saved us because I didn't think we were particularly good throughout the game. But ultimately, the Portuguese man fired home a beautiful hat-trick. I mean, first things first, Rob, let's look at the goals. That first one, an absolute thunderbolt. I assume you were off your seat at that. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable, James. It's a a moment that will really sort of stand the, the, the stead of time. I, I just think, obviously, Cristiano uh, can produce moments of magic uh, like that. Lit up Old Trafford uh, and sent United 1-0 up. He did, and then Sancho providing the assist for the second. And then that bullet of a header when the game looked lost. Overall, Rob... How do you see this game? Because we weren't brilliant and we were saved by Ronaldo. Gary Neville, extremely critical after the game, saying that the squad simply aren't good enough. Do you come away from this game feeling happy? Because ultimately we've secured three points. We're back in the Champions League places. Or do you see past that and look at the, the bigger picture? I think you've got to look at the bigger picture, haven't you, James? Um, Arsenal are behind us, but they've got like something like four games in hand. So... You know, we need them to slip up to keep us in contention for that Champions League spot. Uh, on a, one of the bright sides, uh, one of my main criticisms, uh, Fred had a really good game against uh, against Tottenham. Uh, I'm going to hold my hands up and say he was one of our best players on the field. So I, I thought he was fantastic. And obviously it shows that he can do what he can do well. As um, long as he doesn't kind of over-egg his own pudding and think he's, uh, he's only born in Brazil and not play like a footballer. <laughs> will be okay. But 3-2, it's a good result moving forward. Like Gary Neville said, like you said, uh, this team has a lot of flaws in it and you're kind of hoping uh, that Ralph uh, can iron out these flaws. Even if he can't, he can bring someone in who can. I mean, you mentioned Fred there and of course you've been one of his biggest critics throughout <laughs> his time at Manchester United. I mean, it has really been Fred versus Rob for the last <laughs> three years. But you say that he's been improving he's played slightly better in yesterday's game so the way you look at it now does he have any hope of staying in the squad in the future or do you still think his time's limited I think it is I think it kind of depends on what's available in the transfer market I'm sure Ralph and, and his sort of network of scouts will be looking round to see if we can find a, a midfielder who can break play up and sort of make tackles and make passes, simple passes to get the team moving forward. Fred can do that. He, he shows moments where he can. Also, he shows moments where he struggles and, and he can't break the play up. And as a holding midfielder, that's his job. His job is to, is to stop the play and, and get the ball back for Manchester United. And yeah, you know, Tottenham, he was, he was fantastic, but there's many different uh, points of the season when he hasn't been able to do that. And if Ralph manages to bring a new uh, midfielder in uh, to replace him, then that, that will that will happen. 
if obviously he can't, they'll have to keep with him. Uh, and, if, and if given time and, and confidence grows in him, um, then obviously we can see what, what he can reduce. But he was fantastic against Tottenham. I'm going to hold, hold my hands up uh, this week, James, and say, <laughs> you know what, Fred's a, Fred's a pretty good player uh, when he does what he's uh, there to do. So hopefully there can be a bit of a reconciliation between you and Fred in the future because it'd be nice to put bygones behind us. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. We've got a bit of momentum now off the back of the Tottenham game. A big win against a very good side. We need to carry that now into midweek. We're taking on Atletico Madrid in the Champions League. 1-1 on aggregate as it stands. We've got the home advantage, of course. Away goals, that doesn't mean anything anymore. Are you expecting us to win this game or are we still up against it? We are still up against it, James, but we are at home and we have obviously scored away. So, you know, it's confidence that win against Tottenham will add to that player's confidence. And you're kind of hoping that if we can get an early goal and start to to kind of upset Atletico, then, you know, it might be an opportunity. In European football, the cream always rises to the top. And if Atletico can get a foothold in the game, then we might be in a bit of trouble. But if we can sort of play our way into it, stop them from playing, and hopefully our top players who are in the team to score goals and make chances uh, can come in and win the game for us. Um, it would be great to get through to the next round of the of the European Cup. Obviously, there's lots of big teams still uh, in the draw. And uh, if we can get a, a decent tie... Uh, and, and home advantage in the last leg, then who knows what might happen. As of right now, Rob, how are you feeling going into this one? Are you nervous? Are you confident? If you were to make a prediction, who gets the job done? Yeah, it's, it's, I'm a bit nervous, but I do know that Manchester United have history in the European Cup. Uh, they have had moments through the years when up against adversity, uh, they can uh, turn the magic on uh, and we end up winning games and you're kind of hoping that Old Trafford is kind of set up for uh, another uh, magical moment and if uh, if someone like Ronaldo can reproduce the form he did against uh, Tottenham and, and score goals, create chances we can uh, go on and, and, and get through to the next round, it will be a big challenge, uh, Atletico Madrid are a very, very good side and you know, it's it's all down to who wants it more in the end uh, and you're hoping it's Manchester United You're definitely hoping so, but a team in the Champions League who threw it all the way this week, mm-hmm. a Paris Saint-Germain and it's not the first time they've done this, the fans are well and truly becoming accustomed to disappointment in the Champions League, somehow after being 2-0 up on aggregate against Real Madrid, of course, Mbappe bagging a last-minute winner in the first leg and carrying that momentum into the second leg and bagging early. And then the team not being able to control Karim Benzema by any stretch of the imagination, letting him loose, letting him do his thing on three separate occasions. They ended up crashing out of the competition, something that's been happening to them a lot lately. They did the same thing against United, against Barcelona, throwing games away, not doing the best that they possibly can. And when do we possibly call an end to this? I mean, do you remember when they ended up going out on aggregate 6-5 to Barcelona after winning the first game 4-0? They just don't seem to have this ability to cross the line in European Championships. They've thrown so much money at this. They're getting absolutely nothing back in return other than, of course, winning League One every year. But, I mean, the standard in that league compared to the Champions League, it's, it's worlds apart. So what's going wrong at PSG? Why aren't they crossing the line? I think the problem with, with PSG... Uh, James is the fact that they, like you said, the French division 
isn't a very high quality division and they don't have to really go through the, the gears do they, to, to, to get a result. And then when they come to the Champions League and they're playing the best teams in the world, it's hard to, to find you know third gear, fourth gear, fifth gear immediately. I think the advantages of the other teams in Europe, like Manchester United and, and Bayern Munich uh, and Juventus, you know, the, the teams that, that play at, at a higher standard uh, in a higher league. So when they do need to turn on the uh, the afterburners, they, they can. And I think that's the problem. I think uh, they have got some world, world-class world players, Mbappe, Messi, um, Neymar. They, they, they are, you know, class amongst uh, a team that works but if you're not playing at that optimum level uh, all the time, and it's hard to turn it on and off, and I think that's probably what's happening uh, in this situation that they, they, they get in front, uh, and then obviously they they sort of slip back into default mode, uh, and then obviously uh, they, they pay the price going out uh, to defeat again. And I, I don't think it kind of helps the owners either. I think obviously they know they've ploughed millions and millions of pounds into this uh, into this team, and to to see them uh, dumped out of the. Uh, the Champions League, it really must sort of irritate them. And you think, how much money do we, do we need to keep putting in? Is it players' problem? Is it Potticino, the, the, the coach's problem? Obviously, they, they've got a lot of questions to answer. I'm sure they'll be sat there in that uh, boardroom board board in uh, in in Paris and, and sort of contemplating the next move. But they can't, like you said, they can't keep. Uh, dropping out of Europe in the early stages of knockouts because obviously they, they need the uh, exposure uh, to route to you know recoup the money that they spent. It's a difficult situation where they're in because it is just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And in the summer, it looks like there's a lot of their best players leaving because Mbappe wants his dream move to Real Madrid. Neymar hasn't delivered, he could be on the way out. Wijnaldum looks to be going, Ramos looks to be going. Herrera looks to be on the way out. So all these good players seem like they're about to exit stage left. So where do they go from here? What is the answer, Rob? Because, as you say, money doesn't seem to be doing the trick. The managers they've got aren't doing the trick. The players aren't doing the trick. There's only a finite amount of finances that they can put into this ultimately. So where do they go? Is Do, do you think, James, maybe we look back at Man City when uh, the they got took over uh, and they were bringing in the big players like Rubinho and they were spending good money, weren't they? And they weren't kind of sort of seeing the fruits of their labour. Is PSG kind of like that early Man City team, but on steroids? Because obviously they've got the amount of money. They can't go and buy uh, Mbappe and, and, and other big players like Messi, but not being able to build a team. And since Pep Guardiola's come in and they've managed to sort of build a, uh, a team... Um, and also sprinkle it with with fantastic players. Uh, City have gone on to you know bigger and better things, aren't they? True, they haven't won the European Cup yet, but they're much closer uh, than PSG. Yeah, they definitely are. I mean, they've come very close, haven't they? On, on several occasions, Man City, and again, they've not been able to cross the line, and they've developed that bottler's reputation in a similar way to PSG have. But I get your point in terms of them being at similar sort of sides. Not massive power players in Europe, but then pumping loads of money in and getting into that place. And I suppose PSG are slightly behind City, but you'd hope with the money that they have that eventually they'd turn it around. Because Manchester City are well and truly now 
you know, reaping all the rewards of the money they put in. They started with the Rabinios and it, it didn't necessarily click, but now they've, they've then they brought in the Agueros, etc., and it did. PSG have brought in Lionel Messi, the greatest player on the planet, and it's still not happening. Yeah, it isn't happening, James, and, and you're right. You know, Lionel Messi, you know, he is one of the best players in the world, but we've talked about this before, whether Ronaldo's the best player in the world, Messi's the, the, the best player in the world. Uh, but did PSG sort of buy um, a, a sort of a dead duck in, in, in Messi? Because is he on the way down? Um, obviously, he loved Barcelona. Um, you know, he loved the team. He loved the crowd. He loved the club. Um, but obviously, we couldn't stay at Barcelona for financial reasons. And and did it, did he look at PSG and think of it as a, a last big payday at the at the top level? Um, and obviously, moments like this, you kind of think to yourself, all that money. What's he thinking? Is he thinking what am I doing here, or is he? Not bothered is he just sitting in his villa thinking about you know the next uh, two hundred thousand pounds that's going to drop through the letterbox? Yeah, I mean it does seem that way, doesn't it? We said at the time if he'd have wanted to enhance his legacy, he'd have gone to the Premier League. Yeah, he wouldn't have gone to Liga One. What does that mean? PSG are almost guaranteed, and I know they don't always win it, but they're pretty much guaranteed to bag that. Hmm. So you're basically just transferring to, to win a domestic league title in France. Whereas if you go to the Premier League or you go to Serie A or whatever, you've got the challenge. It's not that easy. Manchester City this year, for example, had he gone there, would still be having to fend off the aggressive challenge of Liverpool, and then slightly further below that, Chelsea. And, of course, there's so many other good teams, the Uniteds, uh, the Tottenham's, the, the Arsenal's, etc. It's never easy. There's never an easy game, whereas there is in Liga 1. So it did feel like he's taken the easy option, and there's not really much you can say other than that. Yeah, I, I agree with that, James. I, I just think he should have gone. He, sh- he should have come to the Premier League and tested himself. But I understand why that didn't happen because if he doesn't come to the Premier League and then suddenly, uh, you know, he still sets the world on fire, people will ask questions. And it's it's understandable and it's natural, James, because obviously we've seen him, you know, tear the, the, the uh, La Liga uh, league, you know, up every season for the last 10 years and when we've got visions of them doing that every week now but father time catches up with everyone done it and and maybe he thought go to PSG my profile's still going to be high because I'm still at one of the leading clubs in Europe but I don't mind have to work as hard every week because the French division is, isn't as good um but we'll see you know there's there's always opportunity that comes along, but even if he does get a chance to move to the Premier League, you know he's another year older, uh, and and obviously them cries of is he good enough uh, will become even louder uh, if he does turn up on the British shores. We'll have to wait and see, won't we? We don't know how long he'll stay at PSG for. I still think as as a hardcore fan, we want to see what he can do in the Premier League, and we'll never know unless he truly tests himself. It'd also be nice to see him and Ronaldo have that rivalry. I mean, Manchester City versus Man United is big enough, not to mention if you put those two players in the mix as well. I mean, it's just the perfect ingredients in the cooking pot to really bring that game to life. But another big player who's in a little bit of bother this week is Mo Salah, because he's turned down a contract offer from Liverpool. He wants 400000 a week. The Anfield side aren't willing to budge where do we go from here? Real Ferdinand says the Egyptian needs to concentrate on whether he wants to become an idol at Anfield or he's more focused on his bank account. For me, he's already solidified that uh, legend at Anfield. There isn't much more to do for him. He's won 
their inaugural Premier League title. He's won a Champions League title and potentially there's other things to do abroad. But where are we going to go from here? Because ultimately the club still want him there. So are they going to be willing to budge? Or will ultimately, will the player budge? What what I do, James, I'd, I'd get on the phone uh, to Fernando Torres and ask him how it went, how we how we fared when when he left Liverpool and went to 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 Chelsea. His career kind of nosedived uh, after that. Uh, Mo Salah, Mo Salah is is a is a fantastic talent. Scores outrageous goals for Liverpool. Their main man to want four hundred thousand pounds a week is outrageous uh, for anyone. Uh, to to come up with that kind of money, I'd be expecting you know hat tricks uh, every week, even though that's not realistic. Uh, I I think it's a, a big decision for Liverpool. They know how important he is to to that club, and unless they have some kind of uh, replacement lined up that can come in and take over his ability to score goals, I can see Liverpool forking that out. That's how important. He is, but then put that puts massive pressure on Jurgen Klopp, his players, and the club to keep winning. Because if you don't win Premier Leagues and you don't win European Cups and you don't win, you know, League uh, FA Cups and things like that, and the and the success dries up, you're left with a four hundred thousand pound a week player. Don't forget other players in that squad that will be looking at Mo as well and thinking, well, if he's worth four hundred thousand pound a week, what am I worth? And it might cause that kind of unrest because you might be in the same squad as someone who's only getting thirty, forty thousand, even though thirty, forty thousand a week would set most people up for life. It's in the world of football it's quite small in comparison. So I'm sure there'll be there'll be a bit of unrest in that squad as well if he does come in with that big wage. But we'll have to wait and see. Crucial moments for Liverpool FC. Very much so. He's a very much a value player in their squad. But you can't have a player dictating to you. And as you mentioned there, there are other players in that squad. The likes of Virgil van Dijk, who's going to say, if he's getting 400,000, what do I get? So I completely take your point on board, Rob. It's going to be very interesting to see how the situation develops. Of course, the fans... They ultimately wanted to stay, but we're going to have to wait and see. But we're going to have to quickly move on to Manchester City now. A nil-nil draw against Sporting Lisbon in the Champions League, but ultimately they completely dominated the first leg, so they've well and truly gone through. They're now in the quarterfinals, and is it their year? It could be. It could be their year, James. Obviously, you know, Pep's had a few runs at it, hasn't he? Uh, you know, in, in the City uh, colours and... Uh, last season's defeat uh, in the in the final will will haunt him. Man City fans they they know uh, that this team and the squad that he has at his disposal is the greatest uh, you know squad City ever had. James, so you know looking at it, it's it's real real opportunity. Uh, that they'll be looking at other success in the Premier League and and in other cups as well. So I think the main problem for Manchester City will be balancing that squad and keeping the momentum going in all the competitions because if they do slip up then that's when the problems problems happen and I suppose for Pep that the the big thing for him would be just what to prioritize because you've obviously the champ the Champions League the the Premier League title race will hot up won't it James you know there's clubs chasing City uh, and I think really it'll be about which games that City can afford to lose um, rather than, you know, trying to go all out for everything. If if they do go all out for everything, they might end up burning out and end up with nothing. So I think it's a real, real challenge for him. 
and his players uh, to see how far they can go. It's difficult, obviously. They're in pursuit of, of, of the treble again, aren't they, with the quarter-final in the FA Cup with Southampton coming up, which we, we assume they'll win. And then, obviously, it, it's, it's trips to Wembley in the, in the pipeline. But quickly moving on to Salford. A nil-nil draw against Exeter. We said that was going to be a really tough game for them away from home. So picking up the nil-nil against the fifth-place team was a really good result for Salford. And coming up, they've got a game against Rochdale, who were 18th in the table. A game against Scunthorpe, who were rock bottom, seven points below any other side. So relegation guaranteed. A great opportunity for Salford to pick up six points. Yes, massive opportunity for Gary Bowyer's men. Uh, if they're looking to get into that playoff spot, you've got to make sure that you get a run on uh, winning games. Games against Rochdale and Scunthorpe are in that uh, bracket of you know winnable contests. So I'm sure Gary Bowyer's men will be fired up for the challenge. And if they can get two wins out of two this week, James, and they'll be looking up the table uh, and ready to take that opportunity uh, of a playoff spot when it comes their way. Most certainly. We're all behind Salford. I'm really hoping they can pull off a miracle run. And if it's not their season this year, they've still had a tremendous run. But a couple of stories, Rob, just before we move on from the football. Everton are in a huge crisis at the moment. Mm. 17th in the league. One of the few teams in the top domestic flight to have never played outside of it. But it's becoming a real reality for them unless they can snap into order very, very quickly. They haven't got the correct setup financially to pay their players if they go down. Meaning, if they end up in the championship, they're going to have to sell virtually everybody and it'll cause massive financial distress for the club. Do you think there's any chance that that can come fruition? Is it possible that Everton can be playing championship football next season? I think there's every opportunity, James. Don't forget, Nottingham Forest, they went down in the... In the... It was the late 90s. Brian Clough, uh, too good to go down. Manchester United went down in the is it the 72 season, something like that. You know what I mean? Being a, a big club and, a, and a, a, a club with great tradition doesn't exempt you from, from relegation from the top flight. Um, they have, you know, some good players, but it's kind of a, is it a, a like a, a warning really for other clubs that if you don't invest in the right areas and you don't have the right people in charge, then if things do become uh, frayed and, and unstuck, you might uh, get caught up and end up going down. Do I think Everton have enough to save themselves? I think they do. But with any, with any relegation battle uh, in the last sort of sort of month of the season, there's always a team that, that, that starts to win and, and gets momentum. And there's always a team that, looks like they're safe and ends up dropping down. So where Everton will be in that uh, in the mix when that happens will is anyone's guess. But, but I just think it's a possibility, James, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you're kind of hoping uh, that they can pick up a few, in, few wins along the way. Frank Lampard, you know, a young coach, a lot of potential, a lot of people talking about how great he is. And I think really, if he can manage to drag, releg uh, drag Everton out of this uh, relegation battle, it will will be a big tick on that that CV of his, but it's a big challenge. And obviously, the the people of Everton, the supporters, you know, they uh, you know will be sort of really sad because obviously they they're a great club and and they've they've watched fantastic football through the years. I remember Everton uh, avoiding relegation last game of the season. I think they beat Wimbledon once, scored three goals in ten minutes. Uh, I think Rideout, I think was it Rideout, Graham Stewart scored like in the last minute to, to save them and they're kinda of hoping that they'll they'll do the same uh, in you know this season. 
Yeah, most certainly. It's going to be very interesting to see how this all pans out, Rob. But the last football question of the day for you, Burnley versus Brentford. Nil-nil going into the dying seconds of the game and then suddenly Brentford steal it. Two goals in quick succession to send the London crowd into absolute hysterics. But a question for you, Rob, is that we've all been in a situation in our lives where we've fought obscene, almost disgusting things against the teams that have beaten our club. But we don't always have the opportunity to voice those opinions to the world. Two Burnley commentators had that opportunity <laughs> after the game against Brentford, and they were very bitter, to say the least, very salty, making comments that the fans shouldn't be celebrating. They're acting like they've won the Champions League, but there's every chance that they can lose eight games on the spin and still go down themselves. It's, it's disgusting. That's the way they were talking. We've all fought it, Rob. We don't usually voice it. As a professional commentator yourself for Salford Red Devils rugby team, <laughs> firstly, what do you make of this entire story? Secondly, have you ever been in a position where you wanted to do that yourself? To be honest, James, it's it's so hard sometimes to to, to bite your lip uh, when you when your team concedes a last minute uh, winner. Uh, there was a moment uh, I remember at Castleford. Uh, once where I was on the gantry and the gantry's kind of split into two and I was on one gantry and Salford, uh, Castleford's coaching team were on the other uh, coaching and it was a close game. Salford and, and were, were fighting against relegation uh, that year and with about five minutes to go, uh, Gareth Hock crashed over uh, and looked like Salford were, were, were going to steal the points. Uh, I obviously compensated, jumped, sort of put, punched the air in delight because obviously you can't scream and shout when you've got a microphone in your mouth. So punched the air in delight, uh, waving my hands, looking all excited. Uh, we missed the goal. And then two minutes later, Cass went up the other end and scored a, a, an outrageous try, kept the ball alive. Salford's defence uh, folded like a pack of cards. And uh, I think it was Jake Webster um, crashed over uh, for them. And, and you could see the, the light on the, the Castleford. Uh, coaching staff's faces as they were all waving at me and, and you know punching the end of light and it was very very it was funny because obviously looking back now at the time I was like oh I can't believe it but that's the way it is it's all good banter uh, but I do understand why the Burnley commentators were like that uh, but I think you kind of have to be professional uh, to the end really you've got to kind of congratulate the the, the winners uh, and and just kind of mull over what went wrong and what you can do uh, next time. And, and you know, I do I do love uh, commentating on, on Salford Red Devils. There have been absolute magic moments of magic uh, that I've, I've managed to to paint pictures for the people uh, sort of listening and watching uh, back at home. Uh, but there's also been moments when uh, we've, we've been beaten uh, with last-minute tries and, and, and are played badly and you just feel like the, you want the world to, uh, to swallow you up. Yeah, we've all been there, Rob. It's obviously incredibly frustrating. And as a professional yourself, you've uh, obviously found yourself in some pretty pretty stressful situations throughout your time where you've had to maintain the composure. But that's why you're the best man on radio in the whole of Salford, Rob. But anyway, that's all we're doing on the football today. And now I'm going to throw over to Paul, who's going to ask you some ice hockey questions. Thanks for that, James. And before we talk any more sport, here's a message from Salford City Radio talking about the recent crowdfunder that's been set up to help keep the station on air. 
Salford City Radio is your not-for-profit community station. Giving opportunities through volunteering and enabling the Salford community to learn new skills and increase the potential of gaining paid employment. We are proud to have served our Salford community for nearly 15 years, providing a platform and voice for community and charitable organisations, local businesses, schools, local theatres, artists, musicians from Salford and further afield. For many of our volunteers, Salford City Radio provides a lifeline. As we apply to renew our licence for the next five years, we need financial support to assist with the cost of licence fees and running costs so that we can continue to help keep your community resource open. Providing opportunities for everyone both now and in the future. We ask you to help us if you're able by making a donation to our crowdfunder appeal. As a thank you for your kind donation, you'll be rewarded by opportunities to get a shout out on air, to be a guest on air, or maybe even present your own show. Find out how you can help your community station now by visiting crowdfunder.co.uk forward slash salford-city-radio. If you can't help by making a donation, you can still be a big help by sharing our message with your friends and family. Your support is very much appreciated. Thank you. Salford City Radio. Your city. Your city. Your station. Your station. So let's get back to talking all things sports in Salford and beyond. I'm joined by Paul Whiteside from The Devil in the Detail. Paul, uh, looking forward to talking all things sport with me now on the Sports Zone. Yeah, certainly am, mate. Certainly am. There's been a lot going on and I'm looking forward to having a chat about it, mate, because, uh, yeah, enjoy this show and it's uh, there's plenty of action-packed stuff to pack in this week. Yeah, lots to go on this week. We're going to start with the boxing, uh, Paul. And a Salford lad, Mark Leach, has uh, won a title. Talk us through it. He certainly has, yeah. He's become the first Salford champion for uh, about 19 years since Jamie Moore, you know, won a Lonsdale belt. So, uh, Jamie Moore, ironically, is Mark Leach's uh, trainer. And, yeah, he, he won the uh, the Bantamweight title on, uh, I think it was on Friday night, you know, his, uh, his 20th uh, professional fight and the 27-year-old went down to York Hall, Bethnal Green, and, and come up with a tremendous victory. So, uh, you know, to get that, that Lonsdale belt, you know, it's a very, very proud moment to, to win that, you know, become British champion. I know people go on and win world titles and things like that, but I think a British title is uh, is quite a coveted one. So, yeah, congratulations to Mike Leach. It was a, a terrific fight as well. So, uh, he's brought that belt back home to Salford and, you know, he's, he's training Jamie Moore and, and, and also Nigel Travis in his corner as well. They've had a, a tough time recently, haven't they, with uh, with Jack Cattrall, um, you know, being very unlucky in his fight. But I think they were uh, they were very emotional the other night and uh, when uh, Mark Leach got his, his, his title. So uh, congratulations all round and, and the belt coming back to Salford. Yeah, he's won uh, gold at both national uh, and European uh, events. It kind of shows how good of a boxer he is. And obviously, do you think he's got even more uh, potential to go even further? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think he's coming to the peak of his powers now. Like I said, 27 years of age, he's got a good jab. You know, he's got a terrific engine. And, and the way he put his combinations together over the weekend to, to, to come over, uh, you know, and, w- and win that fight, I think he's got improvement in him as well. He's got a terrific... Um, Terrific stable there, you know, with Jack train alongside the likes of Jack Cattrall and one or two of the others there. So Jamie Moore's a, you know, a real up, good up and coming trainer, and I think he's, um, 
he's building a, a good gym there. And Nigel Travis is a good guy as well in, in boxing. They, they know the game inside out. So, so yeah, he's got the potential there to carry on now. And I think he's going about it the right way. British title, perhaps heading towards European title next. You know, you've got to target whatever comes up next. And, um, you know, he'll be confident now that he can go on and, and bring more belts back to Salford. But no, proud moment for the City. And, you know, City of Salford has seen some terrific boxers over the years and, and some, some really good fighters. And, you know, Mark is now flying the flag. Yeah, went on a went full uh, twelve rounds, Paul, with a, an unanimous decision by the judges. I suppose that's a good sign if boxers can go different, go the distance. Yeah, it certainly is, and I think Mark's got a good record now. He's he's served his apprenticeship and come up through the ranks. Really, you know, twenty professional fights now. You know, for a twenty-seven year old, is is a, is a good run. You know, and he'll still have years years in him now. Like I said, he's. He's probably coming to his peak now and, and, and you've got to strike while the irons aren't now and, and move on and, and take the opportunity. So boxing can be very political at times and it just depends what road you go down. But hopefully he'll get he'll get the opportunities now. And, you know, it's a decent division that, you know, uh, bantamweight and super bantamweight. So there's some good fighters at domestic level and sort of British, you know, sort of domestic in, in Britain, you know, to, to fight British fighters. But there's also good some good fighters around Europe as well. So, yeah, he'll be excited about his next move. I'm sure he'll want to enjoy the moment now, bringing that belt back to the city. But then after that, like every good boxer, he'll want to get straight back down into the gym and, and plan the plan the next fight. Short career boxing, so you've got to you've got to take the fights when they come and you've got to be dedicated. And uh, it sounds like Mark is. He was in terrific shape for that fight. And uh, and that's what got him through the 12 rounds, really. Won it unanimously on the cards. And, and uh, yeah, a, a great night for him. But great night for the, for, the, for the gym as well. And Jamie Moore and, and Nigel Travis. Like I said, they had a tough night in Glasgow. Well, a tough decision. And um, I think it's, uh, it's it's been good for them to get to get a win. Yeah, let's talk about the other big uh, stories in the boxing world. Anthony Joshua uh, could face Wilder or Josh Joyce uh, in his next fight. Uh, who do you think would be best for him? Uh, yeah, Joe Joyce is he's probably not the, the the biggest name out of the two. You'd have to go with Deontay Wilder when you talk about some of the fights he's had. You know, he's a, he's a superstar in America, isn't he? Very well known man. He's had some terrific fights. You know, particularly the, the fights with Tyson Fury. He's a real character, isn't he? The Bronze Bomber. Um, you, you know, um, I think that would be a fight that would capture the, the, the public's imagination both on this side of the world and over in the United States. So uh, that would be be a nice fight. Joe Joyce is earned his, uh, his stripes though and, and, and come through the ranks. And, you know, he, he's he's up there in the pecking order now as well, you know, with um, in the rankings. So it depends on which way Anthony Joshua goes. He needs to keep busy, doesn't does Anthony Joshua? You know, I think perhaps he was, he was waiting for that fight with Tyson Fury or was he avoiding that fight? I'm not too sure. It's not been made, has it? And, there's Tyson Fury's um, rumours about him retiring. So, yeah, the, the big one, I'd say, would be the Deontay Wilder fight. I think that's the fight I'd like to see. You know, I think the, their two styles would uh, would gel, I think, really. You know, Wilder likes to throw the big bombs. And, and so does it, Anthony Joshua. You know, the two fighters that won't take a backward step. And it's all about power with those two. Where you talk about like, Tyson Fury, he's a bit more of a mover. But I think with those two, you'd, you'd have a heavyweight shoot out there. And uh, that could be potentially dangerous. You've got two blokes around 18 stone chucking bombs each other and it's probably going to be the one that goes first so I'd like to see that fight but no disrespect to Joe Joyce he, he's done it the hard way he's come up uh, through the ranks as I said and if he gets the fight with Anthony Joshua I think that'd be a terrific fight as well Does Joshua have to beat either of these to get his a last shot 
at Tyson Fury. So obviously, the Tyson Fury one is the one that all us boxing neutral fans want to see because of the whole press. And, and like you said, they haven't managed to get it together yet. If Anthony Joshua loses against one of these two, is that him finished? Potentially. Potentially, he's lost two two big fights at the Andy Ruiz Jr. fight, the first one, and then the Alexander Usyk fight. He's he's had two big tests there and, and, and come up short in both of them. So that's not saying he's done some. He's had some good wins throughout his career, but the two biggest tests, he you know, he's failed really. So he does need to, to get a result now if he wants to have any chance of getting in with Tyson Fury. And I'm sure he... You know, he'll be focused on that. You know, let's hope that fight does get made because you, you, when you've got like eras of boxers, you want to see who's the best in that era. And, you know, a lot of the times in the past, people have not been matched up with people. They've gone the different ways. Politics have got in the way. and You've not seen those fights. So I think it'd be a shame if you didn't see that fight because it, it settles the score. I mean, you look at a few weeks ago when Amir Khan fought Kell Brook, that fight nearly didn't happen. And, you know, I think for both fighters, in that he's put it to bed slightly now because you know Kelbrook won and if that fight wouldn't have happened you'd have been in forever questioning who was the better fighter out of the two of them so uh, so yeah you want to see these fights made but for, for Anthony Joshua he's got to be switched on now he really has got to got to get a result as in his next fight and, and, and impress really as well because if not his his career could fizzle out really and that'd be a real shame yeah Deontay Wilder had a fight with Tyson Fury. I'm a bit of a boxing novice, me. So he has had that opportunity at the big, at the big time. Joyce, uh, Joe Joyce, Paul, is he is he in the big, big time, or would he need a, to win a fight like Joshua to catapult him up to that standard? He's probably not. He's not beat anybody of of, of that sort of standard yet. Joe Joyce. He's he's come up on the on the on the rails really. As I said, come through the ranks and he's getting up to that level now and earning the respect. He's had some good victories so far. So, so yeah, he's put himself in that that mix with those guys. It's a big test for Joe Joyce. If he were, if he was to get pitted against Anthony Joshua, that is that is a big test for him. That and you know we'd have to see how he goes on in that test. He he'd be then. He'd be found out then, you know. Either way, whether he's he's good enough to to operate at that level or not, so uh, so that would be a big bomb for him. Um, but no, he's earned it. He's you know you earn your paths sometimes in boxing. You know you you get your opportunities where where you're ranked with uh, with the different organisations, and you know you become mandatory challenges and things like that. And, and he's done that by by good performances in the ring. So so yeah, I wouldn't begrudge Joe Joyce uh, anything. And he's not getting younger, Joe Joyce. Either. He's in his thirties now as well. So uh, he does need to uh, to just step on really if he's going to uh, propel himself to world level. Yeah, final boxing question, uh, Paul. Judge Ian John Lewis uh, was one of the judges in uh, a couple of weeks ago when they had the the Taylor Catrell fight has been demoted, been sorry, de- downgraded slash demoted uh, because of his um, scores he he made for the fight. Do you think that's the right decision? Obviously, will that um, decision by the people to downgrade him will that echo around the world of boxing? Yeah, I feel sorry for the, the the fighters that he's going judging next. I mean, <laughs> he's going judging an amateur fight. You wouldn't want him judging you, would you? So, uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the John Lewis. I mean, I've seen him. He's been a referee for for a long, long time, hasn't he? In professional boxing, done done a lot of big fights, a lot of big domestic fights over the years, and he's always on our television screen. So he's one of the one of the big big name referees, really. So on a well known one. So I don't know whether he had an off night, whether he scored it wrong or. It's difficult. I mean, I've spoken to a few people about that fight, and perhaps it's not as cut and dried as what everybody says. Perhaps there has been a bit of a bandwagon. This is, I'm not sort of 
it's difficult. I don't want to sort of take it. I think the result was wrong. But I think sometimes when you're um, when you're the home fighter uh, and you're the other the title holder and somebody comes over to fight you, Jack Cattrall, if you look at watch that fight again, towards the later rounds, he does sort of smother a lot of uh, Josh Taylor's work. He holds a lot. And I'm not saying that's wrong. He's got his tactics spot on. That's what you're supposed to do. You get taught as a boxer to smother the other guy's work. Don't let him get his work off. But I think sometimes some judges don't like that. You know, but to me, that should be up to the world title holder to find a way around that. If someone is spoiling your tactics, like in rugby league or football, you shouldn't get penalised for that. You should be. You've got to get around that. If if a rugby league team is tackling you and and, and sort of turning you over and making it hard for you, you shouldn't penalise them for that. They're, they're sort of doing it to to gain an advantage, aren't they? So I I thought that's why that fight got scored in Taylor's way and it's wrong it's the wrong thing so so yeah he needs a I don't know what the answer is really with um, with Ian John Lewis but it's a shame and let's just hope um, you know he comes back a, a better referee if he does come back yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there uh, with that, Paul. Obviously, with boxing, there's always a cloud in there over the boxing, whether it's uh, you know corrupted or not. So I suppose for ref, uh, for a judge to get sort of uh, punished for his decisions, it kind of sends a message that if there is corrupted uh, judge, we're not saying that this particular person is, but if there is judges out there that are, they might think twice about following through on a plan to uh, fix a fight. Yeah, I think I think in boxing, it's different to to football and things like that and, and you, you know you've got three blokes who are scoring the fight there and then you've got millions of people around the world who are watching the fight and everybody will have their opinion and especially these days with social media and things like that everyone's got an opinion everyone voices an opinion don't they so you could sit 12 people in a room or 100 people in a room and they'd all score the fight differently it's how people see things but I think for me and everybody else who, who who thought it was the wrong decision, I think it was the, the wideness of the margin or the wideness of the scoring, the way he scored it so far out, really. Um, I think that's what people, um, you know, that was what raised people's eyebrows, really, and that's what shone the, shone the torch on it, really, if you like. Yeah, so that's all the boxing chat now, Paul. I'm going to be talking uh, ice hockey now. Yeah, Manchester Storm, they've had, uh, had two games, haven't they, this weekend? Rob against the same opponent. One good result and one not so good result. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, we spoke about it last week, didn't we, Paul? Uh, game against five, five bottom of the table. Manchester Storm one place above. It was a quote relegation battle. Um, and the first game at uh, the Storm Sheller, uh, Storm lost. They lost three nil. Five really good performance uh, from the Scots. Uh, Storm not able to break them down, and uh, yeah, five came away uh, with the points. But then. Sunday, Manchester Farm and Storm had to travel up to Scotland and uh, to play five and won five four. Paul, uh, they were three one up. Came out the came out the the gate very very quickly. Taylor Thompson, Curtis Hamilton, and Harry uh, Gulliver uh, made it three one to Storm going into that uh, third uh, period. But obviously five came on the the fight back, tied the scores up, and then Adam Brady scored the winner for Storm. Uh, Ryan Finney's men obviously relieved to get the the two points there after after Friday's uh, disappointment, but I'm sure they'll be looking to uh, to keep winning because obviously we we talked about the a late run to the to the playoffs, Paul, and uh, I'm sure they were looking for a two a four point weekend. So to get at least two uh, is a positive, uh, despite Friday's result. 
Yeah, it sounds like they're uh, they're running out of time a, a little bit, really, doesn't it? But it does sound a strange weekend, you know, getting beat three 0 at home and then going away for many five yeah. points before it does sound this strange. I think for Ryan Finney and his side, it's just just finding that consistency now, isn't it? If they're going to make a make a, a push for the for the playoffs, the end of season playoffs, and, and whatever, they need to they need to start that sooner rather than later, don't they? Because they, they're going to find themselves running out of games. Yeah, that's the thing, obviously, with ice hockey. There's so many games coming thick and fast, Paul. You, you need to keep your win, winning mentality uh, and winning uh, culture going. If you start dropping points uh, on that charge, you can obviously come off the rails and, and your playoff dreams have gone. Uh, I'm sure that it's not too far away from Manchester Storm, but it'll have to, they can't keep win one, loss one. They'll need to have double double win weekends for the next few weekends to get them in contention. That's right, yeah. Who, who do they play uh, next weekend, Bob? Yeah, next week they've got three games, Paul. Uh, they're away uh, at Coventry, then they're at home at Coventry, and then they finish the weekend at home to Belfast. Two home games for Ryan Finney, his men. The Storm faithful will be there, down at the Storm Shelter, roaring uh, the, the lads on. We're hoping that they can get uh, a three-win weekend. That was what Ryan Finney would really like, because obviously they need to climb that table. Um, I'm hoping they can get a result. We're praying with the R, and if we can uh, come away with a three-point week, three-win weekend, uh, all will be good, Paul. Yeah, certainly. Best of luck to Storm. Let's hope they can make that push for the playoffs, Rob. Yeah, because that's what it's all about. You need to keep consistent, keep confident, keep knocking off them wins, and uh, we'll see where where we cut where we end come playoff time in in April. Um, Let's talk rugby now, Paul. And so for the Devils, they faced Hull Kingston Rovers uh, this week and lost 26 points to 16 at home at the AJ Bell Stadium. Um, talk us through it. Yeah, a strange game, Rob, to be honest. I thought it was pretty flat in the first half and, and Hull Kingston Rovers dominated it, really, and shot into um, a... Well, they shoot into it, but went to an 18 nil lead. They got a try just before half-time as well, didn't they? And uh, their half-backs, Jordan Abdul and, and Mikey Lewis, I think they bossed the game, really, as far as the high kicks from, from Abdul. He was really booming some kicks in there and we were finding them difficult to deal with, you know, the height he was getting on them, especially losing them in the floodlights. It was difficult for Ryan Briley and he came up with a couple of errors and a few mistakes. And, and, and it cost us big time really going in 18 at the break we did make a bit of a fight back in the second half got it back to 18-16 and showed an awful lot of character I thought there but uh, but again I didn't think we were good enough I thought our defence was poor um, I thought the, the energy in defence wasn't there the it was a difficult one, really. We we looked a bit flat in that first half and probably just gave ourselves a bit too much to do. But, uh, yeah, I'm not so sure we can put our finger on it at the moment. Paul Rowley's, you know, he needs to get that defence worked. It needs to be to be tight. It's too leaky at the moment. And with Leeds coming up at the weekend, it's going to be another difficult game for us. But, uh, no, a disappointing night at the AJ Bell Stadium. Yeah, another game where Salford uh, player was put in the Simbin, Ryan Lannan. Um, obviously, Salford 18-0 down at half-time, Paul. Tried to climb the mountain, uh, but unfortunately failed. Um, but I suppose there's, there's positives to take from it with that three-score pair in that second half when we got within touching distance. Yeah, and I think you can look at every game, can't you, and take some sort of positives from it. But, uh, you know, losing, like winning, can become a habit, can't it? And we've lost three games on the spin now, and you've got to break that habit, really, you know, sooner rather than later, because the, the, the way we played on, on, on Friday, I mean, Hawkins and Rovers, with the greatest respect, <clears throat> probably aren't the best side in the league. I mean, they're a side you should be, should be beating at home, I thought. And, you know, we've got to be careful. We don't want to get to sort of Easter time and... and 
and be, be still on four points. We need to pick, start picking some wins up because it's a short season, really. And if you don't, you can end up in that relegation dogfight. And it's going to be a dogfight this season. There's some good sides in that league. Everyone's sort of saying, oh, Toulouse are going to be the whipping boys. But they've shown some real signs of improvement recently. And, you know, as the weather gets better over there in the south of France, if they pick a few wins up, you you know, you, you're, you're in trouble then. And Wakefield are going to be a difficult side to beat. You, and, and who else have you got down there, really? You know, Cass are struggling at the moment. They've got a decent squad, though. So it's going to be it's going to be an exciting season, you know, to see what happens. But for Salford, we've got to start looking up. I mean, we were expecting to a lot of supporters were expecting us to be in the, the playoffs. I think the, the club would like to finish as high as they can. So I think we've not got a panic. We've not got to press the panic button. We've proved in the first two games that we can play some good rugby. We had a good win at Castleford, and you know you don't become bad players overnight. I think there's some players who are a bit low on confidence and. You know, I think in our next game against Leeds, we need to get off to a good start. We need to get an early score. And, you know, after that, your last few games, we've gone behind, haven't we? And it's been hard. We've been chasing the game. And, you know, it's difficult. So, um, so yeah, I think we just need to get some confidence back. Yeah, Salford Red Devils, ladies, they were in cup action, their first uh, game in the cup. They beat um, Wigan St. Pat's 42 points to nil. Uh, Lucy McKeown with a hat-trick, uh, Paul. Uh, girls through to the next round. Chris Bates, the coach, will be ecstatic with that performance. Yeah, he certainly will. And uh, Demi Jones as well got the, the player of the match. He had a, a tremendous performance as well. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a big result that I, that wasn't the result I was expecting. I thought that I thought we'd we'd get the result, but I didn't think it'd be as uh, emphatic as what it was. And you know the ladies are really starting to build some momentum now. You know I had a good victory uh, the week before as well. So um, you know that's three from three out of four now, isn't it? Victories. So uh, in the game against uh, against against Wigan that they they did lose, it was uh, very unlucky as well. So what what a season they're having! Absolutely tremendous season, and it's building week in week out the the momentum now of it, and you see it on Twitter and social media. Everybody's excited about. It. They've got a good crowd down at Salford Roosters as well. So uh, so yeah, it's, it's going forward, and it's an exciting journey that the ladies are on. Yeah, it's super exciting. I wonder how far they'll go. Obviously, Paul, uh, like you said, three wins so far. Both two against, uh, you know, well, one against Super League opposition. Um, you know, it's 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 going to be exciting to see how far these girls can go. Well, I think they want they want to play in the Super League, don't they? You know, they'll be in the the Championship next season, and I'm pretty sure they'll want to have a good solid season in that Championship. And and they'll set in house goals, won't they, with the coach and you know the staff? They'll they'll talk about that. But I'm pretty sure that group of players. We'll be saying we want to get promoted. We want to get promoted to the, to the and play in that Super League, and whether that's next season or the season after, I'm not sure. But they're, they're, I think they'll want to do it next season. The, the way they play and they, they prove that they can they can mix it with the the, the good side. So uh, so it should be a fascinating season. You know when they, they get into that championship, and I know they've been playing friendlies and, and cup ties, but nothing beats you know league. Week in, week out, when you've got a goal to aim for, a promotion goal to aim for. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting times for them, no doubt about that. Yeah, let's talk about our other local club, Swinton Lions. They had a friendly this week against uh, Keith Cougars. Away from home, they won 42 points to 22. Great result for Alan Aaron, Alan Croman's men. Um, obviously, they're only their second pre-season game, I think, of the season after they lost to Salford. So, it's important, obviously, got back to winning waves. They were in total control throughout, Paul. They played fantastic well, and I'm sure uh, the Lions fans listening to this uh, will be uh, licking the lips for the next couple of weeks when they start the next uh, league campaign. 
Yeah, certainly. I think it's it's good to see them bounce back. You know, they had a disappointing defeat in the in the Challenge Cup, then they dropped out of the Challenge Cup. So uh, that was a game I think they're expecting to win. But to go away from home to play Keithley and, and beat them as emphatically as they did will be uh, be a good, big confidence boost because Keithley are one of those sides that we're tipped to do really well this season in, in League One. I think they're one of their favourites as well. So it's going to be a tight league. I've looked at the, the bookies' odds for that league and you've got about four or five clubs there who are all sort of being tipped as, as, as title contenders. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough league. You've got Keithley in there, Hunslet, uh, Swinton Lions, North Wales Crusaders, Oldham, Rochdale. There's some good sides in that league as well. And it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. They've got a tough start, haven't they? West Wales, haven't they play? Probably not one of the greatest sides in the league, but they're going to be fired up, aren't they, in the first game? So that's a... Going to be a difficult start for them. I'm sure they'll, they'll be able to come through that. But no, a real big confidence booster today to, to go there and do that to Keith. I think that's going to give him uh, an awful lot of belief going forward. Now ready for the start of the season. Yeah, try scorers um, Adam Abraham, Max uh, Roberts, Luke Waterworth, the hooker, Matty Wilkerson, ex Salford, Richard Lepore, Lewis Hatton, and uh, Jack Hansen all over the line for the Lions. And uh, obviously, like I said, Alan Coleman. You know, will be happy with with what he's seen. They obviously face West Wales on the twenty. Uh, I think it's the seventh of March. Old first game up, we can get a start and, uh, and win there and keep positive going forward. Yeah, Richard Lapore, another ex-Salva player there as well. There's quite a few at Swinton, isn't there? And uh, I know Luke Waterworth is uh, is a very good player. I, I, I admired him every time I've seen him play for Swinton. Real hard worker, and uh, yeah, a good result today for Alan Coleman, like we say. And, uh, for, sorry, on Sunday, so a very good result, good confidence builder, and they scored some good tries as well, and that's what it's all about, isn't it? You know, and um, and yeah, I, I'm sure they'll be ready for the start of the season. Now, like I said, disappointing they not they weren't still in the Challenge Cup and they got some games under the belt there, but you know they they should be match ready now for that uh, that first league game. Yeah, I suppose it is important. Uh, the likes of Swinton Lions start well, obviously after last season's uh, sort of di- sort of relegation, uh, beating uh, sort of Keithley in a in a friendly will be you know be a, a sort of confidence booster for them. And obviously with about a minute to go now, Paul, it's really important they can build on that. Yeah, it certainly is. It'd be disappointing last season getting relegated, but. When you look at the, the, the championship of Rugby League and, and League One, it's a big gulf. There's a big gulf between the, the two leagues. You look at the, the sides in that championship, the amount of money that they're spending and the players that they've got. You look at Featherstone Rovers and they've got some good players there in Lee Centurion. So this is probably Swinton's level at the moment and they've got to work hard now to, to get back promoted back to that championship. Yeah, and that, and that's where obviously you know the fans will get behind them. They'll 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 get a bigger crowds down at uh, Haywood Road, and and you're kind of hoping that they, they can grow as a club because they're a, they're a fantastic club. They've got a great uh, set of supporters down there, and they've obviously been through a lot in the in the years uh, that have passed. And this is a, a new uh, sort of dawn for them, and and hopefully they'll uh, they'll get back into that uh, top division and we'll be following them on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. Big thanks for tuning in to this week's uh, Sports Zone. I'm Rob Parkinson and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. Yeah.